You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? Hey, we are so glad that you're here. And uh, so let me, let me start with this, if we can maybe understand who we're sitting next to. How many of you, when you go on a trip, you would consider yourself, if you're willing to admit it, an overpacker? Would you say you're an over? Okay, all right. This is a safe place. We've known each other for, what, 45 seconds now. Uh, and that, what I mean by an overpacker is you go, it's a three-day trip, and you bring, you know, 25 shirts and 18 pairs of pants and seven pairs of shoes. That's, okay, that's the world you're living in. All right. So how many of you would say you're underpackers? All right, just... Okay, uh, that you're like, I'm going on a seven-day trip, I'm bringing two shirts. That, that's me. Uh, that is totally me. And uh, I just, I, and I just do it as like a, to make a point. And uh, I like to travel light, and sometimes it comes back to, comes back to bite you. Um, so I, I'll give you an example. So uh, a few weeks ago, my, uh, my wife and I drove up to Stewart to officiate a wedding for this great couple in our church. And uh, so we did the rehearsal on Friday night. And the wedding was at this really nice resort right on the beach. And so the rehearsal, it was outside where the wedding was going to be. So that's where we did the, the rehearsal on Friday night. It was nice and cool. There's this great breeze right where, um, you know, just because you're right on the water. So the wedding was set for 11 a.m. the next morning. We get down there, and uh, it's, the sun is right on this area, right next to the, the resort. It's really, it's crazy hot in a way that only Florida can provide. And that, so, I mean, it's really warm. And um, so it's supposed to start at 11, then it's 11.30, and then it doesn't start till almost noon because, well, if I just tell you the family's Cuban, does that just explain it all? Okay, so that's, we'll start with that. So anyway, so we start the wedding. So it's almost noon that when we start the wedding, and I am sweating like a Pentecostal preacher. And uh, I mean, I am just, it's just, it's going for it. And uh, so much so that when I start the wedding, uh, a, a woman that is in the crowd, uh, she walks up to me and she just grabs me, gives me a bunch of napkins. Like that's how bad, I was sweating that bad. This woman was like, I have to act. I have to do something. So she gives me a bunch of napkins. And so I'm, I'm you know, wiping my face off. I'm sweating so much, it's getting into my eyes. It's dripping on my Bible as I'm, te- as I'm get- sharing the message. Well, anyway, um, because, you know, part of it is just hot. I'm wearing a suit outside. Anyway, you can imagine. So, and then I'm given the wedding message, and, and I'm teaching from, uh, one of the things I always share in my wedding message is uh, from the book of Ecclesiastes chapter four, that whole passage where it says two are better than one. And so, uh, and so you know, and it gives all these reasons why two are better than one. And so one of them is because two are better than one because uh, how can, um, they can warm each other. How can one keep warm alone? And I've read that. And I'm like, but you know, generally that's true. But in this weather, I think you'd be just fine. And uh, so anyway, then uh, the couple, they, they put together these absolutely beautiful vows for each other. But once again, because their family's Cuban, um, they were going to read them in English and in Spanish. So he reads them uh, in English, and then he flips the page over and reads them in Spanish. And then uh, the bride is going to read her vows, and her vows are just, they're beautiful and funny and witty and all, everything you'd expect. And then, um, and then she says, um, I'm just not, I'm not sure I can do this in Spanish also. And, uh, and, and I say, because sometimes I think, I, I speak first and think second. 
Um, I, I say, uh, she says, I don't think I can do it in Spanish. And I'm like, hey, listen, I think everyone who's melting is going to give you a pass. And, um, and so the wedding gets done, and then we got people watching our kids, so we're not staying for the reception. We're going to come home. And uh, so, but now you got to understand, I've been wearing my suit. I go back, and I'm so grateful that I asked for late checkout. And, uh, but I had sweat through my undershirt. I had sweat through my dress shirt. I had sweat through my jacket, and I had sweat through my tie. I don't know if you've ever squeezed a tie and watched moisture release, but that's where I was living uh, that day. And so, um, I, I mean, and, and you know, uh, I mean, my pants were wet. My socks were soaking wet. It was like, as I was walking, so much sweat. And so, and, and remember, I don't pack anything more than I need. In fact, I tend to like, how much do I need? Well, let's pack 80% of that. And so then my wife reminds me and she's like, Bob, remember I told you to pack one extra outfit. And I'm like, oh, that's right. And I'm like, Care, you are an amazing woman. And I had like these, I had these pants and an extra shirt. And, uh, and, and I was like, I've never loved you more than I love you right now. And, uh, and she's like, Bob, don't worry about it. See, I packed six extra outfits with shoes just for a situation like this. And uh, now the reason that I'm an underpacker is because, let me tell you about when my kids were little, we took a trip to Virginia. I was speaking at this conference, and uh, I said, hey, let's take a trip. We'll go a couple days before. We'll do, like, Colonial Williamsburg and Richmond, and, you know, we'll do, like, some Thomas Jefferson stuff. And, um, and so anyway, so we go there, and we get to the airport. And I want you to understand, we, we pull in, and it was three giant suitcases, two medium suitcases, one small suitcase, a Hello Kitty suitcase, a Lightning McQueen suitcase, a stroller, two car seats, my briefcase, a diaper bag, and a backpack filled with Legos. <laughs> By the way, my family is the reason that airlines charge for luggage. So I just want to publicly apologize to the rest of you for that. And so now I, <laughs> I was in Tampa this week. I have a couple of friends, uh, just a couple. And, um, but Two of my friends, we do this thing every year. We try to just get together, and uh, we all live in different places. So we decided to go to Tampa, and uh, we were going to go to this concert. And so we, um, we were staying there the night before, and um, you could have fit everything that I packed in a shoebox, including a change of clothes and pajamas. Everything could have fit in a shoebox. And this is the funny thing. I just think it's a man, a man thing. But when I got there and I took my bag out, and my buddies got there, and they took their bag out. They were looking at my bag compared to their bag. And I'm like, I bet I pack less stuff than you. And uh, Which, by the way, I pack less stuff than them, but that's not really the point. But, and, and, and the issue is this, is that life is so much better when there's less baggage. And this is true physically, and it's certainly true emotionally uh, and, and as well. Because too many people find themselves in life carrying around more baggage than they know what to do with. And it keeps them from moving to where they are, to where God ultimately wants them to be. And the way it works in your life, the way it works in my life and our lives, is that you start out with no baggage. But then somebody hurts you, another person disappoints you, a relationship goes south, you get passed up for a promotion, and it didn't happen all at once. But we noticed, because if it did happen all at once, we'd notice. But subtly, we start getting weighted down by all of this baggage from our past, and, and what, what, what we do, right, is, is with, you know, 
what do we do with all of these hurts and resentments and frustrations and disappointments that have happened to us uh, over the years? I mean, for some of us, we just get bitter about life and we grow jaded to the point where we can't even be happy because we just have never been able to let any of this stuff go. Or we can embrace a really tough challenge, maybe one of the biggest challenges that you'll face as a Christian, and that is learning to let go of the baggage and learning to forgive. Now, what we're going to look at in our time together is a story that Jesus tells about forgiveness and the importance of it. But before we get into that, I want to talk about four things that forgiveness is not. Because I think as important as it is to define what it is, I think it's important for us to define what it's not as we get started. So if you're a note taker, and by the way, if you're a note taker, this is like your dream message because there's so many things to fill in. I know some of you are like, we have programs? What do we do? I don't even know. And anyway, so the people that make these, make the, these copies are very hurt by that. But uh, if you like filling stuff in, this is, this is your dream message. But anyway, but here's the first thing, and that is that forgiveness is not justifying another person's actions. It's not justifying another person's actions. When you forgive, you're not saying that what this person did was okay. You're simply letting go of the baggage that's holding you back. And it's not so much about them as it is about you being free from their actions. Second thing, forgiveness is not waiting on the passage of time. You know, whoever came up with the saying, time heals all wounds, that guy's an idiot. Uh, Because many times, you've found this, many times just the opposite is true. That I've watched time harden a lot of people who haven't forgiven. Time only becomes an ally in your life when you've decided to forgive and then the course of time lessens the pain because there's more distance from the, the action that took place and you, as you continue to forgive. The third thing is that forgiveness is not denying that you're hurt. It's not denying that you're hurt. What happens is sometimes we'll say, well, God, don't worry, it's no big deal when we're hurt and it just gets under our skin and like a splinter that goes un, uh, unattended that it, it, just, it starts causing uh, infection and pain. You see, forgiveness is about accepting that you were hurt and dealing with it in a godly way. Fourth thing is this, is that forgiveness is not automatically trusting again. This is big. Just because you forgive someone doesn't mean you have to trust them. Forgiveness is a choice we make. Trust is something that someone earns. You see, we forgive freely, but we, but someone has to earn trust through wise choices and actions. And listen, here's the reality. Sometimes forgiveness is hard. But how do we forgive someone who has hurt us deeply? And it, it, now it's not a matter of, it's not that, that I, I, I want to let it go. I just don't know how to let it go. And this is at the very heart of what we're going to talk about today. And we're in, uh, we've been working our way verse by verse through the Gospel of Matthew. Where I think this is message number 28 of uh, Matthew. And we've been working our way. And Jesus is at this point of dealing with conflict and forgiving. And so I think this could be one of the most important messages that you can hear. Because I can guarantee that at some point, someone is going to sin against you at some point in your life. And you've got to decide how you're going to handle it. And so you can decide, I'm going to avoid them, I'm going to cancel them, I'm going to disown them, or you can decide that you're going to forgive them. And here's what I know to be true. If you want to live your life free, then the only option is to forgive and do what Jesus is going to show us to do. So we're going to start in uh, Matthew chapter 18. We're going to start in verse 15, and here's what we read. It says, moreover, if your brother sins against you, 
Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained a brother. But if he will not hear, then take with you one or two more. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses to hear the church, then let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst with them. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, we're going to have three things that we're going to look at in our text. And that is this, if you're a note taker. Number one is that forgiveness is the beginning of reconciliation. It's the beginning of reconciliation. Now, Jesus begins the conversation by creating a scenario. One person sins against another. He says, a brother sins against you. These are two people of like faith. And then Jesus outlines the steps to reconcile the relationship. He says, go to the person one-on-one. If not, take someone with you. And then the third thing is, if that doesn't work, then go to the leaders of the church and see if the, the church leadership can talk some sense into them. But you know what the challenge is? The challenge is that we don't do this. When, what happens is someone sins against us and we talk to everyone else and complain to everyone else and vent to everyone else and air out our laundry to everybody else who will listen, but we don't talk to the person who can actually help us fix the relationship. And, and here's what happens is that, um, what, and this is, listen, there, there is something, and I'm not talking about, hey, I need a faithful friend to, to listen to me and give me some wise counsel. That's one thing. Sometimes we just want to tell our story. And what happens is when we just talk things out with someone, and right, everybody who's been wronged has a sad story to tell. I've got one, you've got one, we've all got one. And we just have our story to tell about how we were wronged. And we start to feel better, but nothing has changed. And if you'll forgive the illustration, that it's, it's kind of like you have a bad meal and then you throw up and you start to feel better. But once again, the same principle happens emotionally when you kind of emotionally vomit on someone. You start feeling a little better because somebody listened and validated how you felt. But that person that you're talking to is neither part of the problem nor part of the solution. And the more that we do that, the less appetite we're going to have for real reconciliation. And if you'll, uh, it's kind of like this. I have a friend whose wife put him on a diet and um, kind of against his will. So she said one day, hey, you're going on a diet starting tomorrow. And so she started making him breakfast. She packed his lunch. And then she, she was usually made dinner. And so um, he, would, he would get to work and he would throw out the lunch that she made for him. And then he would eat wherever he wanted. And on the way home, uh, he would stop at McDonald's and eat his favorite meal uh, on his way home. And then one day, uh, his wife calls me and says, Bob, I don't, I don't understand. Um, he's only eating what I make for him. And in the last two weeks, he's gained 10 pounds. And uh, when he comes home, he doesn't even finish his dinner. He just kind of, you know, moves it around and says that he's full. And I don't, I don't know what to do. And I knew what was going on. But I don't, you know, people put me in a bad spot sometimes. And, um, and so I'm not really sure what to say because I don't want to out him in his value meal situation. And um, I also... Um, I don't want to lie. So it puts me in a bad spot. So I, I said to her, uh, and I'm like, wow, that's weird. I don't know what to tell you. 
And, um, and she was like, yeah, okay. And I'm like, hey, I got to go. And uh, that, was, that was that. And, uh, and then I just changed my number. And, uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but listen, and the problem is, it doesn't matter what she made. He didn't have an appetite for it because he was already full from something else. And I'm telling you, the same thing is true when it comes to conflict, is that a lot of people don't try to reconcile a relationship because everyone around them is validating their, pla- uh, their, their pain and then giving them all these social media platitudes. And you know what I'm talking about? You know, if they don't love you at your worst, they don't deserve you at your best. Like, shut up! Um... Maybe your worst is the problem. And listen, okay. I'm going to calm down. All right, because seriously, uh, some of these social media things, they just make me crazy. Um, Like, you're enough. Like, maybe you aren't. (laughs) Like, maybe you're, like, seriously, maybe you got, like, real problems need to be dealt with before your, you know, situation gets, like, they don't like you. Like, no, maybe your worst is what created the worst that you're now dealing with. And, and, and maybe, and maybe what we need to do is apologize for some of the dumb things that we've said and uh, humble ourselves. And that is the right thing to do. The problem is there's, there's no meme for that, is there? Um, like, I've done dumb things. Hashtag working on it. Like, there's no, there's no meme for that. Somebody create that. Um, <laughs> We'll post that if you create that. We'll, we'll, or I don't know. I don't, I don't, I'm not in control of our social media. I'm making promises I don't even know if we can keep. Where are the... Anyway, all right, moving on. Um, so, all right, uh, this is a good place to transition. I'm just going to read the Bible. All right, here's what... <laughs> Paul says this in 2 Corinthians. He says this. He says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, in, I didn't read the whole passage, there's a whole paragraph here, but in the whole passage, what Paul is saying is that through Christ Jesus, God has reconciled us to himself. That means that reconciliation is at the heart of the Christian faith. It's at the heart of our Christian experience, that we've already experienced it on the wrong side of it. We were the people that did all the sinning, and now God is the one who did all the forgiveness and reconciliation. And now that means that we have a template for what happens when someone sins against us, that we can forgive and reconcile and watch God transform relationships if we will do it in, a right, in, in the right way. Going to the person, bringing faithful friends if needed, and if all else fails as believers, we go to the church for mediation and, and, uh, and counsel. Now, he's gonna drill down on this a little bit more. Look at what Jesus says in verse 21. Uh, it says, then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him. Up to seven times, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who went to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, master, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention. Second thing I want to tell you about forgiveness is that forgiveness is the basis of relationships. Now, my wife and I, uh, in February, we celebrated 25 years being married. And, oh, thanks. Appreciate that. That is a much greater feat for her than it is for me. But 
Um, but we get asked this a lot. Uh, it, people will ask us, how have you made it work for 25 years? Because you guys really seem happy. And, and listen, there's a lot of things that make a marriage work. One of them being being really good at forgiving. The other being my wife's lasagna. That's a different sermon, all right? But um, now here's the thing you got to understand about me is that I am by nature kind of, I'm just a thinker. I, I'm, uh, I'm not like a super feely person, but I'm, I'm, I'm like always thinking. And I have this, I don't know what it is, but I just kind of get lost in my own thoughts. That's just kind of how I am. And like the outside world begins to fade as I'm just kind of thinking. And so now the way it works in my house is that my son and I take out the garbage. Uh, we take out the garbage, take out the recyclables because we don't want the girls to have to deal with that. And so, but what happens is, is that I go outside, take out the garbage, and I just start thinking about all these other things that are going on from the time that I get from where the garbage is to the garbage outside and back. Like, I'm already in like another world, another, uh, I got 10 things to do, whatever. And so I'd go back inside and I'd remember one of the things I have to do. And I just immediately go like back into my office and I start doing something. And uh, for the first 15 years, so for the first 15 years of my marriage, I never remembered to put the, ba the new bag in the garbage can. I was pretty faithful to take out the garbage. And then I would get back in from taking out the garbage. And it's like, oh yeah, I got this other thing to do. And I would just walk away. And so my wife, being the very kind person that she is, she would just get the new bag and she would put the bag in. And, um, and so once again, I, we went 15 years doing this. Now my son and I, I'm like, hey, you take out the garbage. I'm going to be the bag man. Or you be the bag man. I'll take out the garbage. You know, we, we kind of, he and I tag team it together. And, um, but we went 15 years. And my kids were really little at the 15-year mark. And, um, and I said, Care, how often, so this is a 10-year-old 10 10 conversation. I'm like, Care, how often do I forget to put the bag in? And she's like, Bob, in 15 years, you've never put the bag in. <laughs> and, and I'm like, wow, I, I'm so sorry. And you've never said anything. And she's like, well, it's not that big of a deal. And I just figured, you know, whatever you got going on up there, I just didn't want to disturb it. And uh, so I just put the bag in, you know. And, and, and the point is, is that she's, she's forgiving me of the same thing over and over. Now, I'll, I'll tell you just because you, you probably have experienced this. Um, here's the thing you need to know about my wife. My wife um, just, she only knows how to eat healthy. It's just, it's, it's so sad. She just, she doesn't even know how to pick good junk food. Like when she wants to eat, she's like, oh, I want a sugary snack. She eats raisins. And, and that's just so sad to me because raisins are gross. And um, I like them in their original form when they were grapes. And so anyway, um, so this is a few years ago. I, I go to Publix and um, I, I say, hey, when I go to Publix, I'm going to buy myself a piece of Publix cake. Because I don't know if you know this, but Publix cake is the greatest cake ever. This is why I can't ever move. I can't move to a place where there's no Publix because I will never be able to celebrate anything. So, because I will have to use lesser cake and it's not worth it. So anyway, so I, um, so I said, and, and, and I can't be, I can't be, I don't have the level of responsibility to be able to handle a whole Publix cake. So I have to buy them by the slice. Because if I buy a whole cake, I will eat a whole cake. I have no ability to regulate. So I just buy one, because thankfully Publix, because of people like me, they, they sell them by the slice. So I say to my wife, and I'm like, hey, I'm going to buy a piece of Publix cake. Do you want a piece of Publix cake? And she's like, oh, no, thanks. I'm like, are you sure? She's like, no, 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 I don't want it. I'm like, okay, I just want to make sure because I don't want there to be any confusion when I get home with my cake. And so she's like, no, 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 I don't want one. I got to eat healthy, blah, blah, blah. 
So I go to the store. She says, hey, while you're there, can you pick up a couple other things? I pick up a couple other things. And then we, put, we have dinner, and then we put the kids to bed, and we're going to watch TV. And I'm like, hey, wait. Before you start it, I'm going to go to the kitchen, uh, and I'm going to get the cake that I bought. I'm going to eat the cake while we're watching the show. And then my wife says, hey, did you buy me one? And I'm like, no. You said you didn't want one. She's like, well, I just figured that even though I said no, that you'd still buy me one. And I'm like, care. In what universe does that even make sense? I asked you three times if you wanted a piece of cake, and you said no. And she says, well, I just, I just figured you'd still buy a piece for me, so we'll just share yours. And I'm like, the what? <laughs> and uh, so she's like, yeah, just get your cake. Let's get two forks, and we'll work it out. And I'm like... Anyway, and uh, so I go to the kitchen and I come back with two pieces of cake because I bought her one. And so, thank you. I really am quite something. And uh, <laughs> what that something is is yet to be determined. Uh, but my wife was so, she's like, oh, you really know me. And I'm like, yes, I speak crazy. And... <laughs> And here's the thing. Listen, even the best relationships need forgiveness on the same things. And this is how the conversation begins. Peter asks how many times he should forgive someone who has sinned against him and done the same thing. And Peter says, maybe seven times. Now, you got to understand the rabbinic teaching of that day. The rabbis taught that you only had to forgive three times. And then the fourth time, it was not forgiven. Now, what you did at that point, you know, you whacked him on the head or something. I, that part wasn't so much disclosed. But you only forgive three times. Fourth time, it's not forgiven. Peter is stretching his mind and stretching his heart and saying, I think I could muster to forgive someone seven times, them doing the same thing to me. And, and Jesus says, it's not uh, seven times, it's, it's 70 times seven. And, and once again, Jesus isn't just upping the quota to 490 uh, and once you reach 491, that's when you can, you know, pop them one. And, uh, but it's a very Jewish way of saying there's no limit. You just keep on forgiving. And then Jesus tells us a story of a king who comes to settle accounts. And as he's settling accounts, one man is brought before him who owes 10,000 talents. Now, once again, we don't use that measure of currency, so we have no idea what that means. And um, to put it in our currency, 10,000 talents is about... $5.2 billion. That's how much this guy owns, which by the way is the entire amount that Herod the Great collected in income taxes in, in a year. So Jesus drawing on a real king and a real amount. He's saying this is what it would be like if one person owed the entire amount of $5.2 billion. He can't pay and the king orders that he and his family be sold so that they make payment. Now let me explain what's happening here. This is important, uh, especially in our current culture. In the ancient world, there was no chapter 11 bankruptcy. There was no debt consolidation. Uh, you had debts and you paid them when they came due. That's it. And if you didn't have the money, you, and if necessary, your family, would be sold into servitude until you paid off your debt. Now, this is where people who are critics of the Bible say, well, the Bible supports slavery. And, what, and so what they do is they take a modern idea of slavery and... Um, impose it on what the Bible talks about when it talks about slavery or servitude. It's not talking about slavery like existed in America 
Uh, for sure. The Jew- Jewish law set limits on how long a person could serve. They could serve six full years, and then in the seventh year, they were free. And once the time expired, the debt was considered paid in full. Uh, you'll see it up on the screen in Exodus chapter 21. It says, if you buy a Hebrew servant, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh, he shall go out free and pay nothing. And just to make the point, so you guys understand, there was all kinds of rules attached to this. The point was people had to pay their debts, but this couldn't be a lifelong thing. Uh, According to Exodus 21, verse 16, slavery by force or through kidnapping was a first-degree crime. It was a crime punishable by death. If a master mistreated a servant and hit him or hit her, they were free to go and the debt was considered canceled, according to Exodus 21, verses 26 and 27. In Job 31, we learned that a slave can take his master to court if he feels like he's being treated unfairly and he could sue for the rights that he's being deprived of. In Deuteronomy chapter 23, you learn that if a slave has run away from, if you find a slave who's run away from, its ma- from his master, then God commands the Hebrews not to send him back. And the reason being that if he ran away from his master, the situation must have been pretty bad. My point is this, that does not sound like slavery in America uh, because it wasn't. And when people say, well, why didn't the Bible speak out against slavery? It just shows that they don't understand the idea that uh, servitude was about repaying debts. And this is what the Old Testament's talking about. There's a detail in this parable that Jesus gives that I want us to take note of because it's really the key to unlock the meaning of the entire story. The man with the debt never asks for the debt to be forgiven. And this is really important. He simply asks for more time. He says to the king, just be patient with me and I will repay you everything. Now, first of all, this is lunacy. This is the entire tax revenue of a country, that, that amount. And he's like, you know, I just need more time. I got some old baseball cards I need to sell. I got some crypto that I've been hanging on to. And once I sell that, I'm good to go. No, he doesn't have it. But the king is moved with compassion and forgives the entire debt. Now, this should be where the story ends. The story should end here. And this man then becomes the most loving, generous, forgiving man in the whole world. What Ebenezer Scrooge is to Christmas, this guy should become to April 15th. Um, and, but that's not, that's not what happens. And this is where the story begins to unravel. Look what happens in verse 28. It says, but that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and he took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison until he could pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were grieved and came and told the master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not? have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. And so my heavenly father will also do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. And if you pause there and give me your attention. Last thing in your notes, and that is forgiveness is the behavior of remembering. Remembering what? Remembering that we've been forgiven. When the king forgives this man his debt, he wasn't just forgiving the debt, he's giving this man his life back. The point that Jesus is making is is that 
when the king forgives this man, he's releasing him from a life of misery. And the same thing happens when we show mercy and forgive. The only difference is that when we don't forgive, we're the ones who are stuck in prison. That unforgiveness traps us and keeps us stuck in the place that we are. And I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people over the years who just refuse to forgive someone and then blame that person as the reason why they can't move on. And, and listen, whether you've experienced it or you know someone who has, we, we've all, we've all exp- seen it uh, or, or lived it. Someone goes through a painful divorce and doesn't forgive. And, and then the, the, the fact that they will not let that go keeps them from ever experiencing a healthy relationship in the future. A person is betrayed and they refuse to let go and it keeps them from ever trusting another person again. Why? Because unforgiveness is a prison and you don't get out until you release the debt. Listen, when we don't forgive, we become the man who had been forgiven much and he wouldn't forgive the person who owed him little. You see, when the, when the guy who was forgiven found someone who owed him 100 denarii, by the way, it's about $2,000 in today's currency which isn't nothing, but it's certainly nothing compared to what he had been forgiven of. He doesn't show mercy. He doesn't forgive, even though he had been shown mercy and and had forgiven. And instead, he throws the guy into prison. Listen, if you're a Christian and Jesus has forgiven you, we don't have the luxury of withholding forgiveness from someone because God had forgiven us. We owed God the 5.2 billion and he forgave us. So when a guy comes along and owes us two grand, we forgive. And not because they deserve it. That's not even the point. It's because it's a reflection of the God who forgave us. You see, the Apostle Paul would say it this way to his protege, Timothy. He would say it like this in 1 Timothy. Uh, He says, for this is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners... Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. The power of mercy is that it has the ability to set us free from unforgiveness, from hate, from bitterness, from revenge, from needless pain, and from regret. How? Because through embracing the gospel, that mercy has been shown to us, and now we become dispensers of that mercy. Because if we don't, we find ourselves in a prison. Now, uh, I have three kids. Uh, my, my oldest daughter, Mia, is 15, Xander's 13, and Livy is just about to turn 11. And I got to tell you, life has gotten a lot easier as they've gotten a little bit older. People always warned me about having, oh, just wait till they turn teenagers. I'm happy to report to you that having two teenagers in my house has been an absolute joy. Uh, these kids are amazing, and I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for them. Um, now, thank you once again more of a testament to them than to me. But, but there was a time when I had three kids under five in my house. Now, that was something no one warned me about. And uh, that was rough. I mean, th- when, when they're that young, being a dad is like being the perpetual referee in a hockey game. Uh, I spent most of my time breaking up fights, calling timeouts, sending people to the penalty box, and, uh, which, by the way, all of them, when they're young, they had a chair in their room. And so whenever they got, they misbehaved, they got sent to their room to sit in the chair and think about it. I don't even understand how that strategy works, if I'm being honest. It's like, oh, you did this wrong. Go to the place where all your toys are and you have a lot of fun. I want you to think about what you've done. And uh, that does not even make any sense. 
And uh, I, I wish my mom and my stepdad knew about timeout when I was growing up, but we didn't have timeout. We only had knockout. And so, <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> so, but one of the things that we make our kids do when, whenever, and this is true to this day, whenever they, they get into a fight is um, they have to apologize and they have to say what they're sorry for. And then the other has to say the words, I forgive you. And then just because my wife and I like to have fun, we make them hug for 20 seconds. And uh, if you're a parent, listen, you want to throw that little bit in. And, uh, and, and, and once again, it's, it's more just for your own personal entertainment. And, uh, but I love, like, all right, hug it out for 20 seconds. And they're like, one, two, three, oh, no. And then I, I, we double the time if they go too fast. And they're like, one Mississippi, two Mississippi. And, and you know, so uh, anyway, uh, well, one day, kids were young at this time. And Livy and Xander were playing, and Xander did something that bothered Livy, and she started to cry, and then she punched her brother. And, and the thing is, is that um, Xander's not allowed, has never been allowed to hit his sisters. And, and uh, by the way, the girls aren't allowed to hit him, but sometimes they clock him, and I don't know how that's somehow acceptable, but, uh, but he's not allowed to hit his sisters ever. And, uh, and so he just comes over and tells us what's going on. And so uh, he tells um, Carrie and I what, what happened, and, and then Livy, who's three, um, you know, she's like, what's happening? Xander starts telling the story, and Olivia just goes, I'm going! And she just goes straight to her room, sits in the chair, and closes the door. And, uh, and I, she put herself in timeout. I'm like, Carrie, this is amazing. They're disciplining themselves. If we can get them to cook, we don't even have to take them on vacation with us. And uh, so... So anyway, Livy's in her room, wouldn't come out because she wouldn't forgive her brother. And so every once in a while, like, you want to come out? No. And uh, all right. Uh, that sounded dark. And, uh, and so, <laughs> so, well, she finally decides, and, and we go in there, and like, uh, she finally decides she's going to forgive her brother. And you know what happened? She was finally free. And here's the other thing. Xander was fine. Xander was out there living his best life uh, and just, you know, having fun and her, her, his sister's decision not to forgive her brother did not limit him in any way. And this is the thing that's so important about unforgiveness. When someone hurts you and you can't stop thinking about it and you keep replaying the scenes in your mind, um, when, you've, when you've released the other person, it's when you realize, like, I just keep, st I stop playing the video over and over again. And that doesn't mean you're going to magically forget it. That's not realistic. But when what it means is, is that when you've forgiven someone, after a season of time, you, every time you see the person, you don't remember the thing that they did as the, as the first thing. Um, and what you realize is, is that you're the one that's setting yourself free. Listen, it's not easy. It's not easy um, at first. But when, once you forgive, you realize that the days that you spent in unforgiveness was a prison. You had no rest. You had no peace. All you had was torment because of what somebody did to you. And we let it keep happening because we refuse to forgive. This is why bitter people, and you know this, bitter people talk about the same hurts over and over again. They just can't move past it. But when you forgive, listen, you open the door to the prison and set yourself free. And if, listen, so if you say, okay, pastor, I want to do it, but how do I do it? Well, forgiveness takes intentionally doing three, making three decisions. And um, so if you're going to forgive, number one is this. It takes recognizing that it's about you. But don't you mean it's not about you? No, it takes realizing that it is about you. Don't wait for the other person to do something before you forgive. You have to decide to forgive. 
The second thing is, is that it takes deciding to forgive right now. It's not waiting till next week to do it. It's not waiting for them. Oh, once they do this, then I'm going to forgive them. Forgiveness begins with the decision that you can make in your heart right now before you leave church. And number three, it takes being forgiven to truly be able to forgive. If you haven't made a decision to receive the forgiveness of God, then maybe today's the day to make that decision too. Because once you forgive, that's when you really start to experience God's healing in your life. I, I love this passage in the book of James. Um, in the, the, there's a translation that's called the message. That's, it's a paraphrase, but let me read you the way that it, um, it, it translates this passage in James 5. It says, make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. The prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to be reckoned with. My friends, revenge is a powerful force because it offers us everything that we want, but it can never deliver the goods. Revenge makes us think that if we hurt someone the way that they hurt us, that it, it will bring some kind of satisfaction and healing into our lives. And the truth is, it doesn't. It doesn't because revenge can never deliver because we weren't meant or created to be God's agents of vengeance. No, God says that vengeance is his. You see, when I try to exact revenge, when you try to exact revenge, we are miserable because we're trying to do something that we're not capable of doing. And, and there's something else that I've learned, maybe you've learned this too, is that we're not God. We just, we can't do it and we never do it right. So we have to trust that God is gonna do his work while we are entrusted to do our work that brings healing and wholeness into our lives, and that's to forgive. And so you've got to decide, and you get, who do you need to forgive? Some of us need to forgive our parents, or a family member, or a friend, or an ex-spouse, or one of our kids, or a boss, or a coworker. Listen, forgive and be free. You see, the question is, do you want to be free? Are you willing to forgive someone who hurt you for the sake of being let out of the prison of your own bitterness, hatred, revenge, and misery? And here's the other thing about forgiveness that I didn't realize until I was hurt deeply. Forgiving 70 times 7 isn't about so much the person doing the same thing over and over. It can be that. Sometimes it's you forgiving over and over the one thing that was done to you. And sometimes you've got to forgive that person multiple times a day. And then it becomes a few times a week. And then it's every other day. And then it's once a month. And, and the point is, is that the more that you purposely choose to forgive, every time it comes up, you make the decision to forgive after a season of time, you don't think about it as much anymore. And it's not that you accept what, thinking what they did was okay. It was not okay. And it's not going to be okay. But you decide this, that you're not in the revenge business you're in the freedom business. And God is inviting you to be free and live a life that most people only dream of. A life that isn't tied down by baggage that keeps you from experiencing all that God has for you. You see, this is what you've always wanted. This is the life that you desire. And this is the life that he offers us. Let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you for this promise, for this reality that you forgave us of so much and now we can forgive others. 
Lord, it takes courage to forgive, and I pray you'd make us a courageous people. It takes compassion to forgive, and I pray you'd make us a compassionate people. It takes mercy to forgive, and I pray you'd make us a merciful people. God, sometimes every bone in our body wants to exact revenge, and God, help us to understand that vengeance is yours, and you didn't create us to be agents of vengeance, instead to be agents of grace and to live a life that's free. Help us in that, Lord, that we might do what you promised, that our joy might be full. And we pray it in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.